today we are, we are back in the book of Haggai and kind of want to give a recap of kind of where we've been. If you're new with us, never read through Haggai, don't know what we're talking about, kind of catch you up to speed before we get to where we're at. But basically, Haggai was sent to Zerubbabel and Joshua, who, who was, uh, Zerubbabel was the governor or the king, and Joshua was the, the high priest. And Haggai was sent to them to say, um, basically with a message to, to finish the rebuilding of the temple. Um, people were coming back from exile and said, you know, this temple is in ruins, you need to finish the rebuilding of it. And so that was the message he was given, and he was really sent there to motivate them to follow through, to obey in this command. Uh, next session we got into is, is really, he questioned their priorities. The people were saying, it's not the time to build it. You know, it's not, not the right time, and, and God really answers that with another question, says, well, is it time for you to be working on your own houses? It doesn't seem like it's a time thing. It seems like it's a priority thing. Uh, The things of God are not important to you. The things of you are important to you. And so uh, this was the reason, as was explained, that they were experiencing a lot of agricultural difficulties. They were sowing the seed. They were were planting the seed, but the, the return wasn't there. And God's saying, it's because you're in disobedience that that's happening. And so one really encouraging thing that happens next is the people actually receive the message. A lot of God's prophets that were sent to his people didn't receive the message. They either uh, got really angry, tried to get rid of them, or, or other things. But this message was actually received, and they actually obeyed uh, the message. And, and once they received it and obeyed it, then as we saw last Sunday, uh, the Lord promised to be with them. Uh, really an encouraging thing uh, that he was going to be with them. They weren't on their own. But if you hear on Wednesday night, uh, Pastor Drew Johnson talked about really this, some of the people there were disappointed because as they started to get to work on the temple, they very quickly saw that this new temple is, is really not something to write home about compared to Solomon's temple. And so some of the, the people who had seen and experienced the glory from Solomon's temple really got discouraged and, and really were tempted to, to stop doing the work. But uh, the message then was, was don't be discouraged. Okay, keep at it. Work, work forward in faith. And really that statement that stands out there is, is the promise was that the glory of this present house, the one that you're working on now, will be greater than the glory of the former one. You can't see it now, but just keep working on it. Um, you don't know what I'm doing, and just keep working on it. The glory of this house is going to be greater than the former glory. And so, as I said, a lot of the message, uh, messengers that were sent to Israel weren't accepted. If you read back in, in 2 Chronicles 36, verses 15 and 16, it really actually says uh, Israel fell because she rejected the messengers that were sent. Uh, that, that says, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again, not just once, again and again, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. And so God had had desired to show mercy, to save his people, but all the messengers that he sent to them were not received, they were rejected. So where we're at now is is in chapter 2, verses 10 through 19, and really, we're kind of left with a question that, that they may they may actually listen to God's messenger now. They may actually follow through. What are they going to do? And they may respond favorably. And so that's where we're at. We're at part five, except this is a six-part series. So, so part five, we're, we're having a defining moment. And then this Wednesday night, if you're able to join us again, uh, Drew is going to finish up the series and conclude that. And then again, Pastor Kim will be back again on Sunday. But where we're at in, in chapter two, verse 10, is we're at three months now since the work on the second temple had begun. Last Sunday, we, we mentioned the day, the 24th day of the sixth month. 
And in uh, verse 10 of chapter two, we see that we're now in the 24th day of the ninth month. So we're, we're three months since the people have actually started work on the temple. And so this is where we're at. If you found your way to Haggai again, uh, it's just before the New Testament. It's a couple books before, but if you found it, you found chapter two, uh, verse 10. If you have your Bibles with me, if you wouldn't mind standing with me as we read uh, God's word, what God said to the people of Israel and what he has for us this morning. So Haggai chapter two, verse 10 reads, On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and the fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, The vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given us to gather in this room together uh, to hear from you. Lord, I thank you for the time that you have set aside in the past several weeks to to study your word and to hear from you. But this morning, Lord, uh, we need to hear from you. God, we believe that you have a message for each one of us individually. Lord, if there's something that you want to say to us and you're calling us um, to respond to, to the message that you're giving us this morning. So Lord, my prayer for all of us right now is that no matter what we came in here with, God, that as we sit here, as we sit under your teaching this morning, God, that you would just open up our eyes, open up our hearts. We pray that your words would fall on soft, responsive hearts this morning, Lord. Just ask for your grace. I pray you would you'd help me to be faithful with, with the message that you have for us this morning. God, don't let me add or uh, add to it or take anything from it. God, but let it be exactly as you will it this morning. Lord, so we thank you for your grace and we ask you for your grace in this. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So to some of you who have lived a little bit longer on this earth than I have, this may not be news to you, but life is made up of a series of defining moments. But most of the time, at least I've found, we don't recognize them as they're happening. Okay, but what we do in each of those moments really matters. And that's a big point of this passage today. See, it's easier for us to see God's will in our life as we look back as we look in our past than it is in the present. But our present actions actually have have an effect on our future. And so as you sit here, 
you know, I've been forced to, to think about my own life, but as you think about your own life, you can probably list maybe on one hand a series of events that really made an impact, really made a difference in, in the person that you are today, experiences that you've gone through or maybe people in your life. At any point in time, a different decision could have been made and it would have therefore affected the trajectory that you are headed, uh, where you're at today. So, so, so some examples just to kind of help you paint this picture is, is when I was eight years old, I've told this story several times, when I was eight years old, uh, my mom shared the gospel with me for the first time and, and, and in a way that I actually responded to it. Okay, that, that had an effect on, on the rest of my life. If, if I wouldn't have received it at that point, if God wouldn't have had grace on me in that moment, then my life would, could have gone a different direction, okay? But he had, he had grace. And so there was one step. When I was in junior high, I went to a youth camp like some of our youth just went to. And up there, God really clearly spoke to me and, and really said, you know, like, you need to be baptized if you're gonna be a follower of me. And so I made that decision, okay? If I wouldn't have made that decision, that could have affected the trajectory of my life. But I made that decision and kept going forward. Um, it could have been a lesson from my high school physics teacher that stuck with me for a long time. Uh, he gave the requirements for an assignment and said, here's what it takes for an A, here's what it takes for a B, here's what it takes for a C. Uh, I did the A requirements and lo and behold, I got my paper back and I had a C. And, and I go, why? What happened? And that was a very important lesson. He said, you shouldn't always try to get by on just the bare minimum. And, and that stuck with me. It's not like I've just never faltered in that way before, but there was a lesson that, that stuck with me. Or maybe the decision to, to move to California. That was a major uh, decision for my life. But because I did that, then I met my wife and then I got married. And because I had got married, then I had my kids. And you can kind of see how any, any different decision at any one of those points could have altered the trajectory of my life. But there's one that I've probably shared before, but was, was very instrumental in my life. And it really relates really well to today's passage. Um, I was very involved in different high school um, youth groups throughout the school uh, when I was growing up. And so I actually learned how to play guitar in that time and so I could lead worship. And so it was not uncommon for me to be invited up to different campfires or things like that to, to lead worship. And so there was one night where I was invited up to a group of friends' house. They were gonna have this, this big fire and they're like, you know, come on up, bring the guitar, like lead us in worship, it's gonna be great. And so I said, sounds great. I asked my parents if I could go. They said, yeah, you can go. Here's when you need to be back. So, so I packed everything up, went up to the house, got up there, and I very, very quickly realized that this thing is not going to start as soon as it was supposed to. You know, that's kind of how we do things here is it's just traditionally late. And so I, I get there, and this thing isn't going to start. And so I very quickly realized um, this isn't going to work out. <laughs> this thing is not going to be over. This time that they want me to be here for is not going to be over by the time I need to be home. And so in that moment, I made a, a decision as the mature spiritual worship leader that I was that I'm going to stay here and lead these people in worship because this is what needs to happen. And I can remember it like it was yesterday, the phone call that I had with my dad when I finally worked up the courage to call him and said, uh, hey, so dad, um, I know you told me this, but listen, like, the worship's not gonna start till this time and I got the guitar, like they need me, I need to be here. And, and he didn't get mad. There was just a pause on the phone for a while, and then he just asked me, so, so let me get this right. You're going to disobey your parents so that you can lead worship. So yeah. <laughs> Hopefully I, I've matured a little bit in that point, but it, it was a huge thing in the sense of when we're in disobedience, 
our actions don't mean anything. Our sacrifices, the things that we're offering that we wanna give to the Lord don't mean anything. And so that was a, a, a huge point in my life. And so as I look back all those different things, God put different people in my life, different opportunities, different decisions in my life. And at each one, I had an opportunity. Okay, I had a decision to make. Was I going to receive and, and respond to the direction that, that he was guiding my life in? Or was I going to reject and rebel against it? And depending on the decision that I make in that moment, uh, I could be in a totally different place. You know, had I not gone down to California, had I not met my wife, had I not, I may not even be here today. And so our decisions really, really matter. So the one thing that I really want to focus on today, where we're headed is, is again, our lives are made up of a series of moments. As followers of Jesus, obedience or disobedience to his words is what truly defines and gives real meaning to those moments. So just like the returned exiles in Haggai that we're, that we're reading about, today God promises that if we choose obedience, that, that it will lead to a life of blessing. So, so that you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you know, if you obey, you finally get that house and the car and everything that you want. That's not what we're talking about. Sometimes blessing to God looks different than it does to you and me. Sometimes what I think, oh, this would be a blessing, he actually says that would be the worst thing that I could ever give you. So I'm not gonna give you that. But he promises us that if you choose obedience, if you obey my word, the path that I have set out for your life, then I will bless you. And in the same way, he says that if you choose disobedience, that as followers of Jesus, that will lead to discipline. And not because he desires to punish us or to see us suffer, but as we'll see, at least the discipline because he loves those whom he disciplines. He allows us to go through things because he loves us and we'll see why in a moment. And so that being the case, again, the exhortation that we heard a few or a couple sessions ago, the exhortation from Haggai and ultimately from God is once again to give careful thought. This phrase that's repeated several times throughout the book. Take to heart, give careful thought because... God sometimes chooses to do or not do things based on our choices. And so that's, that's where we're headed. So we're in uh, chapter two, verses 10 through 19. I'm going to kind of break this down. So if you're taking notes, you can kind of keep track of where we're at and where we're headed. But really, uh, the first one we want to look at is a figurative ruling in, in the first few verses, uh, uh, verses 10 through 13. And then we're going to move on to uh, what I've called a self-incrimination for past defilement. Hopefully that'll make sense when we get that to, to that in, in verse 14. And then the third part will be a reason for the importance of today, or in other words, uh, why today matters, will be in verses 15 through 19. And so uh, that's where we're headed, starting in part one, a figurative ruling, uh, verses 10 through 13. Before we get into that, I feel like we have to do a very, very, very brief history of, of things like consecrated meat and defilement, because if you've never read through the Old Testament, this is all very, very foreign to you. And so I want to do a very, very brief explanation, uh, by no means in-depth, really want to encourage, if you really want to get a good grasp on what's going on here, or what's being communicated here, read through the first five books of the Old Testament. It's a lot of work, but do it. It'll be well worth your time, especially Leviticus, uh, talking about God's holiness. And so that's the premise we want to start off with. The premise for, for all of this is, is God is holy. Okay, a lot of times we say those words, we sing those words, but, but we miss the importance of these words. He is altogether different from his creation. He's altogether different from us. He's completely perfect in every way. 
And this may come to a shock to some of you, but we as humans aren't. And so this creates a problem because we are sinful and God can't be in the presence of, of sin. And so uh, because he loves them, because he loved the, the people of Israel, the people that he made a covenant with, he gave them a list of laws to say, I am holy, you're not. Here's how you can know what, what can be in my presence, what cannot be in my presence, how you can come before me. And so he gives this, this list of laws that would make it possible for people to be in his presence. Because, because God is holy, his people were and to be set apart. Uh, I'll just give you a snapshot into Leviticus if you've never read it. Chapter 20, verses seven and eight says, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. And so God is holy and we aren't. And so um, he, he gives us this list. There's, there's a lot of them, um, over 600 we're not gonna go through all of them, so don't worry about that. But we wanna break down just a couple different categories. We have ethical laws. A lot of us may know them as the 10 commandments. Um, don't kill, don't steal, don't covet, don't lie. Okay, a lot of things that as today we would say, yes, those are really good things. Okay, but there was also some very uh, clean and unclean standards, or we call them pure and impure standards. Things that would, we use this word or we read that word, um, defiled or defilement. Things that would cause you to be defiled. Things like certain animals or, or certain bodily fluids, or as we read in the passage, um, dead bodies, whether of, of animals or of people. There were certain things. And we're not fully told exactly why certain animals are off limits or, or why this is there, but we are very, very clearly communicated that the people of God are to be set apart. And so he gives them this list. You couldn't mix the unclean with the clean or the, the pure with the impure. There was to be a distinction between the two, between uh, for, for God's people. And that leads into, if you were pronounced unclean, then, then you weren't allowed to participate in, in the different uh, rituals or sacrifices that were provided. God provided a, a way for people to, to make atonement for their sins or to offer offerings. But if you were pronounced unclean, if you were in that state, then you weren't allowed to participate. And, and in the Old Testament especially, um, that was the only way that the people had to, to make atonement for themselves or to make atonement for their sins. And so this, it was a big thing to be, to be unclean or to be impure. And so... Kind of, kind of wrapping this up, hopefully you're not totally lost, but, but the priests were the ones that God had given the authority and the responsibility to actually give rulings on these matters. When somebody came with some skin disease or something like that, they were to go to the priest and the priest was to make the official ruling. He was the one that God had given the wisdom. And so this gets us into to our first section here. Haggai is given direction to go talk to them. They are the ones who, who know the law. They know the rulings. They know the difference between pure and impure, clean and unclean. And so with all that in mind, we're basically given um, two different scenarios. Like I said, we call it a figurative ruling, but we're given two different scenarios and they're based on what we'll call third level contact. What I mean by that is we talk about some, some consecrated meat or meat that was to set apart, set aside to be used in a sacrifice. And sometimes that meat for certain sacrifices had to be eaten in that place or sometimes it could be taken home. And so if it was taken home, then it would be been put in the fold of their garment. They would lift up their robe and hold it in there. And so the question is, if that meat that is holy, that's set apart for a sacrifice, touches the fold of a garment, and then that fold of the garment touches some other food and lists a bunch of other different foods. Basically, we're looking at, at common foods. The question is, um, is that other food that the garment has touched also holy? 
because of that. Basically, it's a question of, we'll call it the contagious nature of holiness. And, and we're not given really clear definition on that. If you look through you know, the first five books of the Old Testament, you look through Leviticus, we're not told specifically. And so they rule rightly and say, no, it doesn't work that way. In the same way, the person that you're sitting by, if they're, if they're walking with Jesus and you just stand next to him, that doesn't work. Okay, holiness is not contagious. And so there's the first ruling of that. No, the other food does not become consecrated. And so Haggai follows up with another question. He says, okay, what about if, if a person comes in contact with a dead body? So we have a dead body, then the person touches it. So then the person's defiled. And he says, and then that person touches some food. Then is the food defiled? And the priest says, yes, it is. And we actually have a reference in that from Leviticus and Numbers. I'll put a couple passages up there. Leviticus chapter 22, verses four and six, it says, he will also be unclean if he touches something defiled by a corpse. The one who touches any such thing will be unclean till evening. That's a big thing. Just because they're pronounced unclean uh, is not the end of the world. Okay, they just have to go through the proper uh, purification or cleansing before they can then uh, be part of those rituals, those sacrifices, those offerings. Okay, and then Numbers uh, chapter 19, verse 22 follows up with anything that an unclean person touches becomes unclean. And anyone who touches it becomes unclean till evening. And so their ruling is, um, yes, that is also a law of third level contact. But yes, if you, the person touches the dead body, they are unclean and anything that they touch is unclean. So therefore, that food also becomes uh, unclean. And so the overall verdict basically is, is holiness is not contagious, okay, but defilement is. And this is, a, this is a huge thing, as we'll see. And so now he has their interest. Okay? He's asking them questions about things that they are to be experts in. They're giving rulings, and so he's asked two questions. You know, think about when somebody comes and asks you a question and thinks that you have the answer. You know, we we kind of like that. And so he has their attention. And that moves us into the, the, the second part of where we're at today, which we're calling this self-incrimination for, for past defilement, really, verse 14. It really reminds me of, if you've read through... Um, the story of David and the time where he has uh, an affair, he has, commits adultery with Bathsheba and then has uh, her husband murdered, but for some reason is oblivious to what he's done. Okay, and so God sends Nathan in his grace, God sends Nathan, the prophet to him, tells him a story. David so clearly has a ruling on the story and says, that guy needs to die. And Nathan says, before you're so harsh, that's you. And really, this is kind of the same situation. They've just made two rulings and said, holiness is not contagious, defilement is. And so it's really interesting if you look at the literal version of, of or the literal translation of verse 14, and I put emphasis on the screen here, the, the Hebrew word that we translate as so is used in all three cases. So this people, so this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so all the works of their hands. And as a result, that which they offer there is defiled. So again, defilement is contagious. Okay, the people were defiled. They were defiled because of their disobedience. God had given them a command, and instead of going to build his house, they're neglecting that, saying that's not important to us. We're gonna go build our own houses. And so the people are defiled because of their disobedience. Therefore, everything that they touched, everything that they did also became defiled. And this is where things really start to, to take a change, okay? The work, everything that they're doing, the work on their own houses, everything that they're doing is defiled. God isn't gonna bless them. And the altar 
We, we learned last week that when they first came, this is 16 years before, they had built the altar. They were going to offer sacrifices. But he says, you're defiled. You've touched the altar. Now the altar's defiled. And now because the altar's defiled, anything that you put on it is defiled. So they've got a major problem. Okay, as one uh, commentator said, ethical disobedience had resulted in ceremonial defilement and rendered the people's sacrifices unacceptable in the past. And so all along, they've built the altar. They're continuing to offer sacrifices, making atonement for themselves. All along, they've been thinking that their sacrifices are being accepted by God. And so he was still with them in their efforts. But it's almost like the light just went on for them. If their sacrifices are not being accepted, if they are defiled because of disobedience and therefore everything that they touch has become defiled, then their sacrifices are not being accepted. And that leads to a big problem because that means that their communication with God is broken. The only way that they have to make atonement for their sins to be in God's presence has been broken. It's been cut off. This was the only way again for them to make atonement. And so the priest's ruling was a self-incrimination for all of the people, including them, because let's remember that the priests are the one who make the sacrifices. So as they're having this explained to them, they're like, oh, people were coming to us and saying, do this, you know, so that God will bless me. And they're doing it. And they're realizing like what we're doing is not acceptable to God. And so really what Haggai is doing through this, this conversation is really questioning the validity of their sacrifices. And they were guilty. God was not going to bless their efforts. They were, as we hear a common phrase as, going through the motions. They were bringing the animals. They were killing the animals. They were doing all the things, going through all of the motions, but their sacrifices were not being accepted because they were living in disobedience. It was a big problem. One, one uh, pastor that I read really said something that at the heart of us, okay, we, we desire God's blessing. We desire God's presence he said, to attempt to serve God or accomplish something in the world without his blessing is to go against the grain of our design as human beings. And so before he had their interest because he's asking them for rulings, now he has their attention because they realize we've got a problem. But this wasn't the end. And this is a very, very important part, I think, that we sometimes lose in English translation. But verse 15 starts out with the word now. And sometimes we can just read past that. But in the original language, in the context of the way that the prophets speak, this has a very, very big meaning because it signifies midway point. It doesn't signify beginning. It doesn't signify end. It says, now we're going to move to the present. Okay, that's been here. Now we're going to transition and move towards the present. And so he's got their attention, even by the word now, of saying like, listen to what I'm about to say next because it's really, really important. And so that moves us to the third part that we're going to be at today, and that is a reason for the importance of today, not only for them, but also for us. And there's two phrases that if you read through uh, verses 15 through 19, they are both repeated three times, and they have great significance. The first one is, is from this day on. Depending on your translation, it may say different things. Um, one may have a footnote that on the first one says, to the days past. But basically, this, this phrase, from this day on, is there three times but it's used in three different tenses. The first one talks about, consider, give careful thought from this day on, talking about the past, what you've experienced. Then it's talking about today. Again, this 24th day of the ninth month. And then the third time is from this day on in the future, 
referring to what God's going to do. And so there's the first phrase, from this day on, three times, meaning past, present, future. And then the second phrase is one, again, that we've seen several times before, and that's this, give careful thought to. So give careful thought um, to the past, the present, and the future. And this is what he, what he means as he un- unpacks this a little bit. First of all, the first one is, is give careful thought. Learn from the past. It says, give careful thought before one stone was laid on another. Before you had actually taken up the work and started rebuilding the temple as you were encouraged to. Again, we read about this before, but they, they were experiencing uh, difficulty, especially when it came to their, their agriculture. It says, you came to a heap of 20 measures and there were only 10. It's been cut in half. Okay, you went to draw 50 measures from the wine vat and you found only 20. That's been decreased by 60%. So learn from the past, what you experienced. And then again, he explains clearly, this isn't coincidence. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you didn't return to me, declares the Lord. That is such an important phrase because God allows us When we are disobedient, he allows us to experience hardship, to experience trial with the purpose of that we would turn back to him. That's why he allows it to happen. That's his purpose for it. But it says, learn from the past. Look back at these past 16 years that you've gone. You've put seed in the ground. Okay, you've planted, you've harvested, but it's never been what you expected it to be. And it's saying because I struck it. You were in disobedience, so I did not bless it. Really, again, it takes us back, if you read through those, those first five books of the Bible, there's this big um, difference that's presented for if you obey God, you're gonna experience blessing. If you don't, and you worship other gods, you're gonna be experienced cursing. And, and that is, is um, put before the people by Moses, and the same kind of question is being put before the people here in Haggai. So give careful thought, learn from the past. See what happened, understand that I was the one who did it because you are in disobedience. But secondly, give careful thought to this day. Okay, this is talking about really obeying in the present. This, this 24th day of the ninth month, it's repeated twice in this section. The day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Okay, this has been three months. Okay, so this day is not the actual day when they actually started up. It's been, they've been working on it for a while, but it's a significant day. Okay, different, different, um, Theologians and commentators may say that they actually held like a dedication ceremony that day and that was it. Or some people say, regardless of whether they did or they didn't, after three works of working, substantial progress had been made that on this day, um, they had showed, we're gonna follow through. We're gonna do this. And so from this day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, and then he asked two questions about today. Here you are today, you've experienced all these years as you look back of agricultural hardship. And ask a couple of questions. Is there seed left in the barn? Consider the, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree, that they have not borne fruit. And the important thing here to remember is that this 24th day of the ninth month is December. Okay, so it's past the time of harvest. So they're saying like, basically, okay, sounds, sounds great, you've done all this, but the road is still rough ahead because we've already, the time for for planting has already passed. So it's December, but that's where this third part comes in. But nonetheless, give careful thought from this day on, 
I will bless you. The idea is to trust God for the future, that while you're saying, well, we've already, we've already put the seed in the ground this year and it's gonna be awful again because it's the same seed and all this, he's saying, I struck it, I can also bless it. So, so give careful thought to this day, I will bless you. See, this day, this, this 24th day of the ninth month was a defining moment for this people because of their obedience. It's the day that they showed this is what we're gonna do. We're changing the direction of our life. So the thing to remember is that obedience today matters. I said at the beginning, sometimes we can't always see how it leads to what's next, but obedience today matters. Because as he says, because of their obedience, it's because of that that they would once again experience God's blessing, that he would, he would say, I will bless you from now on. So as you look at what's going on there, it really causes us to ask the question, so, so what? Okay, so obedience today matters. How, what do we do with that? What do I do with that? Again, going back to that first statement, our lives are made up of a series of moments. As followers of Jesus, obedience or disobedience is what gives meaning and truly defines those moments. And so I wanna encourage you, I want to encourage me that today, as we sit here today, on this 26th day of January, it's a defining moment for all of us. Will we choose obedience that leads to a life of blessing? Or will we choose disobedience? Follow that path that leads to being, to being <laughs> could be cursed if, if you don't know Jesus, or it could lead to, to discipline. And so I want to talk about both those, those scenarios. Okay, what this means is, is if you have never made a decision to follow Jesus with your life, okay, the scripture says that, that you are still under the, the Old Testament law, okay, which leads to meaning um, you're under the curse of the Old Testament law because the law was never given to save us. It was given to us to show us that God is holy, you're not, you need help. It was to point us to Jesus. So if that's you in the situation, that's, that's where you stand today. But I don't want to leave you there because that's not where, that's not where God leaves us there. There is good news. Hey, Galatians 3, 13 through 14 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole, or depending on your translation, a tree, referring to his death on the cross. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, God has provided a once and for all way for you to have a relationship with him. Today could be a life changing, defining moment for you. If you've never made that decision, the entire direction, the entire path of your life could change today. This could be a very important day for you. Your choice today matters. But if you are a true follower of Jesus, if you have already trusted him to be the curse for you, 
First, the encouragement is, is you are secure. Okay, your standing, my standing with God doesn't have to do with my works, the things that I do, whether I was obedient today or, or yesterday. Or, okay, if, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, okay, your sin does not change your standing. You are secure. And so be encouraged by that. But it can cause broken fellowship. It can cause broken fellowship with God, and it can cause broken fellowship with other people around us, other fellow believers. We can lose our enjoyment of intimacy with God, not because he's moved further from us, but because the, the communication line is, is broken. It's been fractured. We no longer see God for who he is, the gracious and merciful God. We now see him as, up. Oh, I messed up, and if he ever finds out about it, I'm in big trouble. But if you are a follower of Jesus, it's not because God's moved away. It's because he disciplines those whom he loves. And so knowing that that really is most of us in this room today, that, that have given our lives over to Jesus. We are followers of Jesus. We're striving day after day to be more like him and, and allow him to, to rule and determine the direction of our life. One question has really just kind of gone through my mind. And I think God wants it to go through our minds this morning. And that is, while you're standing with God is secure because of Jesus, not because of, of you, but because of Jesus, is there something in my life that has broken communication with God? This is a big question. Okay, and as I started to ask that question, um, God's faithful to answer, and so he did. And you just try to write down as much as you can until it becomes too painful to bear, and then you're just like, are you done yet? But I think it's the question that he has for us today. And I trust that some of you are in the same position. See, based on the season of life that I'm in, there were really a few different areas that he said, your response, your disobedience or obedience to this command that's been given has the potential to break communication. And just as the priests and just as the people were going through the motions of doing things while their sacrifices were not being accepted, I can show up to church every day I can pray with my kids, I can give faithfully, I can serve in the church, I can read my Bible every day. But because I have neglected this area of my life, those, those things aren't, aren't honored. And so again, because of the season of life that I'm in, the first thing they touched on was, was my marriage and, and really directed me to a passage. First Peter 3, 7 says, "'Husbands, in the same way, be considerate "'as you live with your wives.'" And treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Okay, if I've brought all of my offerings, my sacrifices, but I'm putting this command or I'm putting this verse over on the shelf because I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna go honor God this way. Very, very clearly, husbands, he says, your prayers are hindered. You think that you're doing all these things, but really you're just going through the motions because you're not walking in obedience to what God has called you to do as a husband, to care for and love for and live in a considerate way. 
not to be harsh, not to be unloving, but to care for and respect. Okay, again, because of where I'm at right now, the second issue that he touched was, was parenting. I've got three small children. Anybody who has three small children or has ever had three small children knows that that's enough to make you go a little crazy sometimes. But Ephesians 6, 4 has, has a command for, for, it says fathers, but it, but it can also be translated parents. Do not exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Okay, that's my job. God has blessed me with kids. That is my job, not to anger them, not to exasperate them, not to frustrate them, okay, but to bring them up in the training and instruction. Okay, here's where that kind of creates a problem for me is that takes a lot of time. Okay, because I've really tried and failed several times to talk to my kids like an adult. That goes well. It's followed by my wife saying, you realize they don't have any idea what you just said, right? But that's my job. My job is to, to slow down, to put all these different things that I'm doing over on the side because in this season of life, that's what God has told me to do. He said, this is what obedience looks like in this season of your life. Okay, handle and interact with your kids in a way that you don't exasperate them, that you don't just anger them and frustrate them, that they're throwing up their hands and just ready to quit. Okay, but instead, use this time. Those of you who have raised kids know that the moments, the years that they're in the house goes by way too quickly. But during this season, obedience looks like using that time to bring them up in the training and instruction. But as I thought through those two things, and they were very, very applicable to me, God really pointed me to a third way. He basically said, you know what? Not everyone in that room is married or has kids. So, so why should this matter to them? So lucky for you, he showed me something that applies to all of us, no matter where you're at. Luke chapter six, verses 27 and 28 says this. But to you who are listening, I say, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Too many times in my life, I'm full of more excuses than I am love. Okay, I'm full of more excuses or reasons than I am good deeds. Okay, and again, if we give careful thoughts, if you look through, just think of the people in your life Okay, and you'll know by the reaction on your face when you hit that person that this verse is talking about. How do you respond to that? Are you gonna say, nope, I'm putting this one over on the shelf. I'm gonna continue coming to church. I'm gonna continue to read my Bible. I'm gonna continue to do all these things, but not doing that because, well, God probably doesn't even know that person. That person's ridiculous. But really what it comes down to is, is humbling myself to say, God, as I read your word, I see where following my path for my life leads to. But it gives us a choice. Are we going to choose obedience to his word and let that define the direction of our life? Are we going to choose to resist, to reject, to rebel against what he says? Are we continuing to bring our offerings and sacrifices, expecting God to bless them while we choose to neglect the areas of obedience that he's, he's given to us? 
Maybe you're in a similar season of life as me and those things really relate to you. Maybe it's something totally different. But the thing that I love about proclaiming God's word is that his spirit moves and speaks directly to that thing. So no, I don't know you. I haven't been reading your email. I haven't been reading your mail. But, but God knows all things. And that thing that he's pointed out to you says, this is an area of your life that you're not giving over to me. You're continuing to go through the motions of everything else while saying, I'm, I'm not doing that. So whatever that thing is for you today, that could be a defining moment for you. But the last kind of application is a totally different scenario because I've talked to enough people in this church to know that sometimes it's not that we're in, in a season of disobedient or rebellion or rejection or resistance, but sometimes we're just experiencing hardship. And a lot of you in this room are in that spot. You're just going through a hard time right now. But I think today has importance for you too. Because this day matters. This could be a day where you continue to faithfully persevere despite the things that you're going through. Despite the hardships, you can choose to hold on to Jesus. Or you have the option of choosing bitterness or anger. Or in some cases, as we've seen people do, is is just give up. Today matters because how you handle that decision before you today, where you're at today as you sit matters. It will affect tomorrow, which will affect the next day, which will affect the next day. Days turn into weeks, turn into months, turn into years. And before you know it, that's your life. We may have to wait. And it may seem absolutely impossible. But if we trust him, if we faithfully persevere with what we're going through this time, this season of hardship, then the promise is he will bless us. He already has by offering the gift of eternal life. He's faithful to follow through on his promises. So the question is, how do we respond? Because if we believe that to be true, then today is just not another day on the calendar. Okay, God has, has called you here because he wants to speak to you. He has called me here because he wants to speak to me. He's put something before us and said, here it is. You can either learn from your past and obey from the present and trust me for the future, or you cannot learn from your past, keep repeating the same thing that you've been doing over and over and over and over again and see where that will lead you. But again, today matters. Our choices matter, our decisions matter. And so the exhortation from Haggai is to really give careful thought to our lives. What are we doing? I love what Drew said the very first week of this series is we can't fool God. We can fool each other. We can fool our employer. We can fool our kids sometimes. We can fool our neighbors. We can fool our spouse. Can't fool God. God sees you exactly where you're at right now. And as you look back on the things that you're experiencing in your life right now, he's saying you're experiencing that because my desire is that you would turn to me. You would, you would see that the path that you're going 
the way that you're choosing is not good for you, that you would turn and see to me and see that I, I love you, I care for you, I desire to show you mercy and compassion. And so that's where we're at right now. Again, if you're able to make it here on Wednesday night, Drew is going to, to finish up our series on Haggai. Um, but I'm excited to see how God's gonna use this, this book in the life of our church. Father, I just thank you so much for today. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your word. I thank you that if we just take the time, God, and sit at your feet and listen to what you have for us, God, that you, you'll speak to us. You'll show us what your will is for our life. You'll show us what it means to obey. You'll show us that if we choose that way, God, that you, you will bless our life. And we may have to wait for it, but you are, you are faithful to come through on your promises, Lord. And I thank you that you speak to us, God, directly to us. Some of us are, are a lot more thick-headed than others, and sometimes it takes a lot to get through us, but you just speak that small, still, quiet voice into our ears, Lord. And I thank you that because you are a gracious and compassionate God, you don't just force us. God, you give us a choice, and you, you ask us to trust you. You ask us to, to humble ourselves and give our lives to a life of obedience to your ways, Lord. And so I thank you for what you have planned this morning, Lord. I know that you desire to work in every single one of us this morning, God. And I just pray that you be glorified as we respond to your word. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.